Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, this morning, uh, in the first service, I said good morning, and everybody was like, ugh. <laughs> they lost an hour of sleep, and, and, uh, and, uh, but I'm glad you're here, and uh, so welcome to be here at Lake Point. In fact, if this is your first time with us, I'm Pastor Scott. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, in your program, you should have received one as you came in. Inside that program is a little card, it's a connection card, and we just want you to fill that out. And then at the end of the service, it's during the offering time. The only thing we ask from you is to turn that card in and let us know about uh, your time with us here this morning. And uh, also on the back of the card, for all of us, there's several ways, several things that's going on, and I hope you get a chance to look at what's happening. And uh, we have uh, VBS that's scheduled here, our very first VBS here at, at the new building um, coming up in June. And uh, normally we have it in August because where we were at the school, that was like the only time we were allowed to have VBS, which like there at the end of July, early August. But this year, um, we... Uh, I can control the schedule here around the building, and we're going to do it in June at the end of school. And if you're a volunteer, you'd like to be a volunteer, um, it's a place for you to serve, uh, to let us know that you'd like to help that week, that night, uh, BBS, Monday night to Thursday night. And uh, if you can't help every night, we still, you could still be involved in some way, somehow, and uh, let us know about how you can serve for BBS. And uh, last Sunday was an amazing Sunday. We had 20 baptisms. 20 people gonna baptize. Yeah, that was awesome. Awesome day yes, last Sunday. And, uh, and then there were four plus people. And it was even more awesome than the baptism. Four people uh, gave their life to Christ and, and on that Sunday. So that was an awesome day last week. And, uh, and so what a way to celebrate uh, with them last Sunday. Um, this past week, um, I was invited a few weeks ago. Uh, I got an invitation to attend uh, to go to Washington, D.C., and uh, some of you might have seen that on, if you follow me on Facebook, and I was going to Washington, D.C. I was invited to attend a briefing at the White House. And, and, and before you think I'm something special, I mean, let me just say, this is a very low-level briefing, okay? So it was the advisor to the advisor to the advisor that were running the meeting, okay? So don't, you know, I didn't see anybody important, you know, but it was cool. I mean, I got invited to the White House. I mean, I said, sure, why not, you know? And uh, so I, I flew out Monday, and, and, and I actually flew out a little bit earlier, so I could kind of t- take it in, uh, take in Washington, D.C. I haven't been there since I was a kid, and I thought, you know, uh, as a kid, I, I didn't really appreciate it. I mean, I did, but, you know, now that I'm older, um, I thought I'd really get into it, and, I'm, and I love history, and I love all that kind of stuff. And so um, and I, I kind of did some stuff around the mall, and, and I went to dinner with a couple of the other pastors that were there with us, and then uh, after that, I was like, you know, um, I had the Uber guy just, hey, just drop me off at Lincoln Memorial, and I want to go back, but I want to see it at night, because I hear it's a sight to behold, to see it at night, and, uh, and I drop off, you know, got drop off there at the Lincoln Memorial, started walking around, and, and started, just kept walking, and it was about nine o'clock at night. And it kept walking, kept walking. And, uh, and there was a lot of people around the memorial, Lincoln Memorial, walked down to Vietnam Memorial, walked down to World War II Memorial by Washington Monument. And, and then I just said, you know, I'm going to keep walking. And I started walking to the Jefferson Memorial, which is kind of out a little bit. You know, if you've been there before, you know what I'm talking about. Kind of out. And so I started walking, and it's about 10 o'clock at night now. 
And I started walking, and you know, everything looked closer. You see the big monuments, you know, and it's all just right there. It's not right there, all right? And so, you know, I just keep walking, and, um, and, and, and there's about 30 minute stretch. I'm walking along that big lagoon that takes you around to Jefferson Memorial, and I'm by myself. I mean, I'm being 80% deaf. You know, I'm, I'm just constantly looking around because if anybody, anybody can sneak up on a deaf guy, easy. <laughs> so I'm just kind of looking around. I, I don't know if this is a good area, if it's a bad area. I don't know if it's a good idea to be out this late at night, you know, by myself, you know. But I, I just kept walking, and I finally get to Jefferson Memorial, and then it started pouring. I thought, oh, man. So I ran in real quick, and, and I'm by myself. It's just me and Jefferson. Hanging out, <laughs> just looking at the radar. I said, I got about a 30-minute window here. And, and, and I didn't know, but there was a basement or there's like a lower level and there's a little exhibit. And I'm like, man, I'm in my world. You know, I've, I've got nowhere to be. I, I've got uh, a rainstorm that's happening. So I just went downstairs and I read everything about Thomas Jefferson and I reminded myself of some of the history that I already knew and I'm just fascinated by artists. And I, I was um, reminded, as I was looking at Jefferson, I was reminded of a political rival that he had with the second president of the United States, if you know who he is, that's John Adams. So Thomas Jefferson, third president, John Adams, second president, and they were political rivals, fierce political rivals. When they went after each other, I mean, they, if they could have Twitter back then, they tweeted against each other, but they didn't have Twitter back then, so okay. But I mean, they were just relentless against each other. And, um, but then after, after they retired, they became good friends. All right, they couldn't stand each other, but then they became good friends after retirement and they lived you know, to be pretty old. In fact, uh, John, uh, Thomas Jefferson um, and John Adams, you know, uh, and lived to be almost 90 years old. John Adams on July 4th, 1826, was 90 years old. And he was on his deathbed. And he's dying. And the last word that he says, he said, Jefferson survives. Thomas Jefferson survived. He outlived me. I mean, uh, you know, uh, they were good friends. They were doing this political rivalry, right? They were doing it like, oh, man, you know, Thomas Jefferson outlived me. But unbeknownst to John Adams, on the same day, but a few hours earlier, Thomas Jefferson died. <laughs> and so, but, of course, John Adams didn't know. They didn't have the, web, the Internet. There was no way to know that. And he actually did outlive Thomas Jefferson. I just thought that was interesting because we're in a series called uh, When Love Speaks. So we're looking at the last words of Jesus as he's on the cross. And, and, and there's something to be said about last words, the powerful moment. There's something to be said about that. And, and, and there's nothing different with Jesus. The words that he said are power in the words of Jesus. Now, we looked last week at the first statement, and last week was, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, I assure you that you will be with me in paradise. And we're telling that to the two thieves. If you missed last Sunday, I hope you'll go online and listen to it. And um, 
as I presented a very clear plan of salvation and uh, what that means. But I want to look at another statement today that he made on the cross. But before we get there, I want to set up the scene for you. You know, Jesus had just suffered through six illegal trials, three by the Romans and three by the Jewish. Three were uh, civil court and three were religious court. And all of these were illegal, but they didn't care. They hated Jesus so much that they railroaded him into crucifixion. And during the trial, Jesus was beaten, scourged behind recognition, beyond recognition. The Romans, they would use what they called the cast of non-tails. You might have heard of this, the whip. And at the end of the whip are nine cords. And at the end of those nine cords are, would be either a piece of uh, rock or, or metal, um, maybe a piece of glass. And they would tie on those, um, on each one of those uh, cords, a, a sharp object. And, and what the Romans would do is they would whip a prisoner before they go to the cross. They would whip a person 40 times. Now you take 40 whips times nine, that's how many stripes that was on the body of Jesus. 360 stripes and wounds that they whipped. And most of the time, when the Romans were done with the scourging, with the catch of non-tail, that the prisoner would not survive, that the crucifixion wouldn't even happen because he couldn't make it. But Jesus, barely making it, almost dead, you know, he is dying, almost dying before he even gets to the cross, and they get him there. He carries his own cross, and I imagine, you couldn't even recognize the body of Jesus trying to carry a cross. Of course, he, he couldn't make it with the cross, you know, carrying the cross, or someone else carried the cross for Jesus. And they get him there, they, they nail him to the cross. The crowd is just shouting at him, mocking him, insults at him. And everybody's left him. Everybody except, except for, his, um, uh, for a few ladies, you know, and one disciple, which was his, the beloved disciple, John. Everybody else has run away for fear of being arrested, being caught, but they're all there. It's the, it the ladies, including the mother of Jesus. And Jesus, he looked down while he's on the cross. He looked down at his mother. He looked down at his best friend, John. He ignores the crowd. He ignores the, he ignores the noise of crucifixion. And in the quietness of that moment, he gives them a final word, which is the word of love, the word of Compassion, which we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 19 and verse number 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopper, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, mother's mother there and a disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, and here's the word of love, the woman here is your son. And, and, and to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple, John, took her, Mary, into his home. Now, tradition tells us 
tradition tells us that Jesus' mother lived for about another 12 to 15 years after the crucifixion. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, had already died. So Mary lived as a widow for the last 12 years of her life in the home of John as his adopted mother. And these words that Jesus spoke are very, very simple. He said, Mother, here's John, your new son. John, here's Mary, your new mother. And that sounds pretty simple, but it has profound applications. And when you understand the meaning behind it, it shows us the heart of God. It shows God's compassion. This statement shows God's concern, God's care, God's tenderness, God's love. He cares. And we see that in this passage. In fact, if you're looking on your handout note, you, you see this uh, in a nutshell, and this is what I hope that you'll learn today, that Jesus died expressing selfless love. He was never too occupied with his own pain that he lost sight of the needs of others. So, what I want to do is there are two main lessons to learn from in this moment from Jesus on the cross. We're going to learn, first of all, what it means to love like Jesus. What does it mean to love like Jesus through the eyes of the cross, through the eyes of Calvary? What does it mean to love like Jesus? And there are a lot of ways to love like Jesus, but I want to just narrow it down to what we see here through the cross. And then we're going to learn uh, how we can see Jesus and what we can learn from Jesus when we're in pain, when we're going through suffering. And so two things I want to learn today. So let's talk about, first of all, what it means to love like Jesus. If you're taking note, to love like Jesus, I must first love for my family. I must show love to my family. And Jesus does this from the cross. He loved his mother by making sure that her needs were provided for by someone that he trusted. Love is something you do. It's not something you just say. Love is a choice that you're willing to make. And after six illegal trials, after 360 stripes on his back and over his body after being abandoned by his closest followers while hanging from a cross Jesus did two things for Mary to show that he loved her family, that he loved his family. He first he honored his family. He honored and the best way for us to show love to our family is by honoring them. By honoring them. It, and, and the best way to honor your family it's by the way you pay attention to your family. You pay attention to your family. You honor them when you do. Have, have you ever watched two people who are in love? I mean, they are just in love. I mean, they, they're, they're fresh in love. They, can't, they don't care about what else is happening. They just focus on themselves. They're paying attention to themselves. I got a question for you guys. Um, how many of you ever been to a, a, a professional game and, and during like maybe the timeout or halftime or, or between the, the periods, uh, the, you know, the jumbo, jumbo cam, the jumbo, you know, the big 
TV screen and how to catch random people by surprise. And, and sometimes they do the kiss cam and uh, or sometimes the dance cam. How many in this room, you say, man, that's my claim to fame. I have been caught in one of those moments. Is, is there anybody like that? Because I'm kind of jealous. We got, is that you one of them? You got one? Nick? Nick, who else? Anybody else? Jerry, you been on one of those? Okay, man, you guys are awesome. So I've been trying for years how to get on one of those things, and I, I just can't. I just can't. Uh, but it, it's fun to watch, right? You know, some people are totally oblivious to what's going on. In fact, I found this video of a couple that totally oblivious that they're on camera. They're so into each other that they have no idea that the whole crowd is watching them. Check out this video. attention to the game. I mean, I mean that, that, that's being attention, paying attention to each other, and uh, it's just really into each other. And right there, they're totally oblivious to the world. I want you to notice for a minute, Jesus here. What nails holding his nearly dead body to the cross. Jesus ignores the crowd that's mocking him. All the scorners, all the all the, the scoffers, the critics, the Pharisees, the two thieves on the cross that's having a conversation. He laser focus. Jesus, he laser focused his undivided attention on his mom. Love pays attention. You see, attention is one of the greatest gifts that you can give. It's more important than money or a physical gift. When you give people your attention, you're giving them your time. And time is your life. You see, you can always get more money, but you can't get more time. And when you give your attention, you are announcing to them how valuable that person is to you. And when you don't pay attention, you're dishonoring their dignity. You're disrespecting their dignity. Jesus honored his mom by
by giving her the attention she needed, even while hanging from the cross. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 1 to 3. Bible said, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And then it said, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There is no statute of limitation on that command. We're to honor, even when you move out of the house, you're to honor your family, honor your parents as long as you're living. And if you love the Lord, you honor them even in death as well. But look at verse number four. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents, we're not to provoke our kids to anger by coming down hard on them all the time. Instead, we're to take them by the hand and to lead them in the way of Christ. And in order to do that, you have to pay attention. You have to be intentional. Parents, we're not just called to parent our kids. Parents, we're called to disciple our kids. And to disciple our kids, that means you have to put the time and effort, you have to pay attention to your family. Dads, you know, if you have TV on, got the ESPN on or whatever, and your little girl comes up to you with a teacup in her hand, pay attention. Turn off the TV, put the pause button, whatever you got to do, and spend time playing an imaginary teacup, an imaginary, imaginary tea party with your daughter, because one day they're going to grow up. You're not going to get the time back. So pay attention. Honor your family by paying attention. But here's the second thing that Jesus did while he showed love to his family is that he provided for her need. If you're taking note, the way that we can love our family by providing for them, providing. We see in John chapter 19 that Jesus' last will and testament, his last concern was his mother. He was concerned about his mother. Jesus knows that Mary is old. He knows that she's a widow. She's poor. She knows that he could be cared for. And Jesus doesn't have an inheritance to give her. I mean, Jesus didn't have a home to, to pass on to her and, and clothing and money. He knew that. But here's what, he do, here's what he could do. He could provide care for his mom. And in the middle of all his pain, he looked down and he said, John, I want you to take care of my mom. I want you to take care of her. I want you to take care of her. He knew that by putting John and Mary together, he was creating a relationship in which both of them would benefit. Jesus had nothing to give, but he provided care for his mother. Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, a word for us, it said to give proper, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow had children or grandchildren, these should learn First of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. You want to please God? Then love your family. Love starts at the home by providing for them. The care of your, fam the care of your family is expected by God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse. It's worse than an unbeliever. I mean, there's a strong language here. 
But he said, and Paul said this to Timothy, he said, if you don't care for your own family, the Bible said that you're worse than an atheist. That's how intense the language is. And that's how important love is. Love begins at home with the people. We're to provide for each other mentally, physically, emotionally. We're to provide for each other spiritually. So the first thing we learn about love from Jesus is that love starts at the home by honoring your family, providing their needs. But here's the second thought. If I'm going to love like Jesus through the eyes of Calvary, I must treat, treat believers as my own family. I must treat believers as my own family. As followers of Christ, believe it or not, we have a spiritual family. We have a spiritual family. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are to do good to those who are inside the family of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, when I was a kid, the church that I grew up in, you know, they always called each other brothers in Christ. You know, we would call each other, you know, uh, Brother John or Brother Scott, you know. And, and, and you don't see that as much up here anymore. You see that more in the South, you know. And the church I was in the South, you know, they called me Brother Scott with a drawl, you know, with a Southern drawl. You know, hey, Brother Scott. Hey, what's up? <laughs> you know? Hey, y'all. I mean, that's how it worked down there, okay? And, uh, and everyone was a brother. Everyone was a sister. In fact, I was reminded of uh, uh, when I was a, a youth pastor intern in northern Michigan. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the family that we were ministering to was a farmer. And he had a family, you know, and he said, hey, I want, he, they call, he called me up. And I said, Brother Scott. I, and I said, hello, brother, I forgot his name now, brother farmer. <laughs> How's it going? He said, hey, I need you to come by the farm for a minute. I said, okay. So I drive to the farm. I go out there and I see the farmer. And he said, my little boy wants me, uh, wanted me to call you. And his little boy is about five years old. And he said, he got something he wanted to show you. I said, okay. So he takes me out to where the cows were. And one of the cows was giving birth to a baby calf. I said, why do you bring me out here to see a birth of a baby cow? You know, what, what's going on here? And the little boy said, hey, you see that baby being delivered? I said, yeah, yeah, it's more than I want to see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a, one of the farmers were out there trying to pull the baby. I mean, it's not a sight to see. And I was like, oh, man, what's going on? And the little boy said, yeah. Um, we're going to name that cow after you, Brother Scott. <laughs> uh, 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 somewhere in northern Michigan, there's a cow named Brother Scott. I just, you know, for the record, I just want you to know that. <laughs> but why do they call each other brothers and sisters in Christ? What does that mean? And why is that practice? It reminds us that at the foot of the cross, we're equal in Christ. We're, there's no hierarchy, and you know, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
Now listen to the instruction of Paul that he passed on to Timothy. He says in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he said, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, we are to care for each other. We're to treat each other with respect. We're to, we're to love on each other, to find care. In fact, one of the things that we're working to develop more and more is the care ministry. And uh, we want to make sure that we're, we're here for each other and uh, there for people that's in a hospital or people that had surgery or had a baby. You know, we bring meals and provide meals. And, and, you know, as a pastor, I can't do it all for everybody. That's why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and said, man, you got to get the church to do this. It's the church responsibility. It's the small group's responsibility to take care of each other. You know, and, and one of the things we want to do is develop that. If, if that's in your heart to be a part of that, you know, on the back of your connection card, just write care ministry. And give us some time. We're, we're going to develop that. But if you're like, man, I love to cook a meal. I love to go and visit and pray with someone at the hospital. I love to be able to be there for someone that has surgery. I've got someone that's had a very important surgery tomorrow. And uh, now I'm going to be there. I told him I'll be there so I can pray with him. You know, and, but man, what, what the power when we're all doing it together. And, and so look at the back of your connection card. Just, all you have to write down is write care ministry or care. Or I want to help in the care. Just write it down in that comment section and, uh, and give us some time. We'll get you plugged in and helping in this very important area. Jesus showed love to other people. He treated other believers as if, they, as if he was his own family. But here's the third lesson. If I'm going to love like Jesus, I have to see other people's pain while I'm in pain. I have to see other people's pain while I'm in pain. I mean, here's Jesus. He's dying on the cross. He's in the most excruciating pain. And in his dying moment, he was not focused on himself. In his dying moment, he is focusing on others. He's looking around to see who else is in pain. He wants to see the pain in others. He wants to help them. And I don't know about you, but that's not normal for me. I mean, when I'm sick, and I want Karen to, to cater to all my needs, you know? I'm, I'm a little baby, a big baby. You know, and I'm not thinking about what's happening at church. I'm not thinking about what's happening with anybody because I'm in pain. I want, me to, I want to be focused just on me, but Jesus here, Jesus, even in his excruciating pain, is looking for ways to help other people. The Bible says in Philippians 2.5, it says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, you're to look around. You're to find somebody who's in distress or who's in pain and find a way to help them, to help them out. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Don't, he said, man, don't, don't be stuck on your own pain. Look for, look for ways to leverage your pain to be a blessing to others. You know, sometimes when we go through a, a, a period of grief, 
Uh, by the way, grief is important. God created grief. You know, the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. That's important. But, man, one of the best ways to help yourself through a time of grief is to allow yourself to refocus, not just on you, but who else can you be a blessing? Who else can you help? Who else can you minister to even when you're in pain? Number four, if I'm going to love like Jesus, I have to meet the needs of others, even when my needs aren't being met. I mean, Jesus had a lot of needs on the cross, a lot of them, a lot of needs on the cross, but he spent his time meeting the needs of others. Not one time did he say, excuse me, hello, I'm dying up here. Not one time did he do that. We, what we see out of Jesus is the complete opposite of what we see in Hollywood, what we see in Washington, D.C., Man, I was there, you could feel the power. I mean, power-hungry people, and it's all about me, you know, how I can one-up on everybody else. That's how we see it sometimes in our workplace, in our schools. We're all about me. But Jesus, not about him, even in pain, even when no one is taking care of him. He's looking to minister. Romans chapter 15, verse 1 to 3. So we who are strong, in other words, we who are able to, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Every one of us need to look after the goods of the people around us. We need to ask ourselves, how can I help? Those are great words to say. In every circumstance, in every situation, ask yourself, how can I help? How can I help? You see someone who's in need. And it may be inconvenient. You might be going through stuff too, but ask yourself and say, you know, I'm more like Christ when I look beyond my needs and look into the needs of others. How can I help? Well, those were lessons that we can learn on ways to love like Jesus from the crowd. But let me give you a final word about pain. You're in pain. You're grieving. You're unemployed. You're depressed. Here's what I want you to know. And here's what Jesus wants you to know. Number one, Jesus cares about your pain. Jesus cares about your pain. There's no pain that's bigger than God. There's no problem that's bigger than God. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all of your anxiety onto the Lord because he cares for you. So Jesus cares about your pain, but the second thing I want you to know about your pain is don't handle it alone. Don't handle your pain alone. God created, God created Eve for Adam. God created Robin for Batman, Right? God created us for each other. We were made for each other. That's why we have life groups. That's why, that's why we have youth groups. That's why it's important for you to be on a volunteer team where you can minister to each other as you're serving each other. Don't handle your pain alone. Find number three, find someone to help. Again, just go back to finding to meet the needs of others even when your needs aren't being met. Don't refocus. Help someone. 
I always feel better after helping someone when I'm in pain. I always feel good even when I'm in pain. Number four, here's the last thing, we're done. I want you to know that when you're in pain, I want you to be reminded to look to Jesus. Look, keep your eyes on Jesus. Three verses I want you to look at. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. It said, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Man, there's a lot going on in the world, right? A lot going on in the, in the media. A lot going on in the news, conversation. And, and if we're not careful, we can be very, very anxious. We can be concerned. We can be smart. You know, that's why, that's why I'm doing a lot of elbow shakes. You know, I'm shaking people with their elbows. You know, we can be smart about it. You know, we, 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 we don't have to be, you know, coughing on each other, you know. And, you know, we can cough into, uh, you know, we can use, wash our hands. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there, though. Bible says, don't be anxious. Don't let fear rule the day. Because fear can paralyze. Fear can paralyze. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Go back to him. Cast all your anxiety, anxiety and care to him because he cares for you. And then he said in verse 7, and when we do all this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's where the peace of God is when you start keeping your eyes on Jesus, focusing on him. Psalm 91 verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield. In the 1980s, the late 1980s, there was, a, there was a forest fire that swept through the, the Yellowstone National Park. Just ravaged the whole park. And after the fire had come through, the park rangers and Firefighters went through to kind of do the cleanup, and they came across, one of the park rangers came across to a very unusual site where there was a bird that had, did not leave the nest, but actually stayed through the fire and petrified from the, from the fire dead. And the park ranger was like, man, that's odd. Most, most birds when they see smoke and fire, they fly away to, uh, to, um, uh, to somewhere safe. And so the park manager said, I'm gonna knock it down so we can clean it up. And when he knocked it down, to his surprise, underneath the mother's wing were three baby birds that were still alive. That baby, that mother, knew that the baby could not fly away. And in the face of death, lay down her life, protecting under the wings of baby birds that could not fly. And I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a savior. 
We keep our eyes on him because he has protected us with his loving arms, shield of faithfulness. And I pray that we keep our eyes on him. Hey, yes, the noise are out there, the chaos of the world. We live in a broken world, but his wings covers us. I pray that we keep our eyes on Jesus.